This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. All right, good to see you guys. You happy to be here? Are you excited to be here? Amen. Good to see you guys. And if you're new, you're surrounded with some really, really, really great guys. There's some really fantastic men here that'll be an encouragement and a hope and a help to you. And here, here's how it works. My name is Mark, one of the pastors here at the church. On Sundays, we have a long sermon. It'll be shorter tonight. If you've never been, it'll still seem long. I'll just tell you how it's gonna work out. But on Sunday, there's a long sermon. And then what we do on Wednesday nights, we do sort of an application, an overview. How does this apply in a real practical way to the life of a man? And we're in the book of Daniel. It's a book in the Old Testament, 12 chapters. And it's a fascinating look at one man's life through all the different life stages and seasons. So it starts, he's a teenager in chapter one. Uh, By the time we reach uh, chapter six, where we are at today, he's in his 80s, turn the page, he's gonna probably be in his 90s, a little later in the book. And so it shows us what does a life look like for a man from beginning to end if he remains faithful to the God who is faithful to him. And what we've seen here is that Daniel keeps getting brought back into leadership in various nations because he has character, character counts. Character is you'll say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done, even if it's not popular. People may not appreciate that in the moment, but over time, when crisis happens and you need someone you can trust, you can count on, they're gonna tell you the truth, they're gonna do what they say they're gonna do, you bring back the person who has character and integrity, and that's Daniel. So he has worked for two different governments. Babylon was the ruling nation. It was toppled. And then this Medo-Persian empire comes in, brand new king, brand new kingdom. They're trying to set up a brand new government, brand new legal system. They go get Daniel. At this point, he's probably in his 80s. And the point is just because you're old doesn't mean you're done. And sometimes all the life lessons that you have learned, some good, some bad, but all learned, they become investments for this next season or for someone else that's building a new organization, or in this case, even a nation. And what happens for Daniel, he's a prophet. So he loves God, he serves God, he speaks for God, and he comes into some conflict with politicians. They are literally government politicians. And they decide, we don't really want Daniel in charge because he loves God. We don't really want Daniel in charge because he's gonna tell us the truth. We don't really wanna hear it. He's gonna tell us what to do. We don't wanna do it. So let's find a way to take Daniel down. So it's the politicians versus the prophets. So they get a, a legal decree ordered, an edict that says for 30 days, you can't pray to any king or God, except for their king, who they're going to worship for a month as God. They pass this law knowing that Daniel is not gonna do it because he won't defy God. And so ultimately what has gotten Daniel uh, character through life also gets him trouble in life. The same thing that God will reward you for, other people might punish you for. That's kind of the storyline of Daniel. And there are a few things that sustain his character. Number one, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this in chapter four, chapter five, even the unbelievers look at him and say, this man has the spirit of God. Number two, he's a guy who knows the scriptures. He, he knows the Bible and he becomes the chief Bible teacher in this nation, though he's an exile and a slave. Number three, he's got good guys around him, his friends. These are men who know the Lord and know him and they pray together and they hang together. And then lastly, he prays. And just I'd say as men, these are the most important things. You need the spirit of God in you, you need the word of God before you, you need friends alongside of you, 
And ultimately, you need prayer for you. You need those four things. Well, it's the prayer that gets Daniel into trouble because he is told you either bow down and pray to the king as God, or otherwise you're gonna be thrown into a lion's den. So he's got this decision to make. And that is, is he going to pray as he's always prayed, or is he gonna change his commitment to God, his relationship with God to adjust to his critics and his enemies? We all feel this pressure at work, at home, maybe with a spouse that's an unbeliever, maybe extended family members that don't support your decisions because they don't know and love your God. The question is, are you gonna stay consistent with your character? Are you gonna make an adjustment so that you don't have conflict with someone else? So that's where we pick up the story in chapter six, verse 10, and I'm not gonna deal with the whole chapter. I just wanna look at this one particular issue, prayer. Most men don't know how to pray, and there's a reason that can fix our prayer life. And I really wanna look at Daniel as a man, but especially his prayer life as a man. So Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, right, not allowed to pray to your God for 30 days, you gotta take a break. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber. So he's, he's up high, everybody can see him. He's not hiding, he's not ashamed. He opens the windows, he could have kept them closed, but his faith is public, not private. Good example for us all, open toward Jerusalem. Why is he praying toward Jerusalem? Because that's where Jesus is gonna come. And right, he's seven mile, 700 miles rather away from Jerusalem, his home. He's been taken as a slave and a captive in war, but he knows Jesus is coming because he knows the scriptures and Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. So he gets down and prays and it's his way of saying, I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus. When crisis comes, when tragedy comes, when conflict comes, when stress comes, the point is this, we can either respond with fear or in faith. And the key to responding in faith instead of fear is like the Bible says, to fix your eyes on Jesus. So he literally gets down on his knees. This is five to 600 years before Jesus is born and walking on the earth. And what he says is, I don't know when, but I know where. Jesus is coming and I need to stay focused on him so that I don't get distracted and I don't compromise my convictions. This is where prayer is so important. It says he got down on his knees three times a day and he's an old guy. How many of you are old guys? How many of you guys are 85, 90? I think Enoch's our oldest guy. How old are you, Enoch? How old's Enoch? 90. If you don't, there's no judgment. Do you still kneel down to pray? Yes. Is it more work than it used to be to get back up? <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> if you're a 90 year old guy who gets down three times a day, it's because you fell three times. That's why you're down, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're a 90 year old guy who kneels down three times a day, that's because you're committed to it. And this is not easy, the older you get, amen? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50 and if I drop something, unless it's really expensive, I'm just gonna order another one on Amazon. I'm not even gonna bend down and pick it up because that just seems like a lot. So three times a day, he gets down and he prays. And, and what does the posture of kneeling indicate for a man? Submission, when do we kneel? Usually when we've committed a crime and a cop shows up, that's about the only time we kneel. Or if you're in war and you're, you know, you're losing, you're like, okay, I'm gonna get down on my knees, wave the wife. This is surrender, this is trust. This is a dependent position. Sometimes the body demonstrates the heart and the soul. So you're showing externally what you're feeling internally. He kneels and gave, what? Thanks. Did Daniel have reasons to just complain and gripe? 
let's just do this. And if you're new, this is just permission to speak freely. Um, what's some, what are some things he could have complained about? I'm a, I'm a castrated eunuch. For me, that's always top of the list. I don't care what, I, everything else is a distant second. He was a teenage virgin that got taken as a captive and they castrated him, made him a eunuch and made him go to work in the king's palace surrounded by a harem. True or false, that's a frustrating career path. A eunuch in a harem, okay? He could have complained about that. It's not happened to me and I'm complaining about it for him. That's how bad that is. Hey, what else could he complain about? Yeah, he likes eating and then they're gonna change his diet. He's like, okay, then I'll be a vegetarian. Okay, so if you're new, right? If this is your dream life, we're all gonna pray for you because you need a bigger vision than being a vegetarian eunuch. This is where he ends up. What else could he complain about? They changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means I worship a demon God named Baal and his real name is Daniel, which means God is my judge. So he's getting called some horrible names. How many of you, people have said horrible things, you can't undo it, it's kind of stuck. That's what he's got, he's got a name he doesn't like. What else can he complain about? 700 miles from home, he's in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. That's exactly where he doesn't wanna be. And he's there his whole life, never gets to go home. He dies there. Today, Daniel is buried in what is ancient Babylon and then the Medo-Persian empire. And today we would call it Iraq. He's buried in Iraq, he never made it home. What else? Educational system, he had to go to ASU, get a degree. Three years of demonology and evil and corruption. All degrees have that as at least the minor. And this is his major. Oh, he does, and now he's studying everything that is against his belief system, right? Anything else he could have complained about? Yeah, his age, his shackles. He's always got somebody plotting against him, trying to take him down. They've already thrown his buddies in a fiery furnace. I mean, let me just say this. How, don't raise your hand, but how many of you men, your spiritual gift is griping, right? You say, no, the fruit of the spirit is griping, complaining, moaning, yelling, um, and blaming. That's not the fruit of the spirit, okay? As men, when we get frustrated, and by frustrated, I mean we're awake, okay? Because that's the emotional spectrum of a man asleep and frustrated. So as long as you're awake, you're frustrated. There's always something to complain about, always, amen? And there's always something to give thanks for, okay? Daniel isn't denying his reality, but in praying and invoking God and thanking God, he's bringing God into his reality to change his reality. So his God is bigger than his circumstances and his God is better than his circumstances. And in prayer, he's going to invite God into his life and circumstances, okay? Um, we used to call this, when the kids are growing up, we would call these thankful prayers. Because when we get together for dinner or we get together for family, time of prayer. And, and I wasn't legalistic about this. I'm not really legalistic about anything. But, um, but, but I'd get the kids together and I'd say, okay, any prayer requests? And it was when they were little, a lot of times it was just complaining. I got too much homework. You know, why do I got to share a room with my brother? He farts and it smells like Satan farted, you know? So, um, and so what happens is then I'm like, okay, how about thankful prayers? Because I wanted them to not only bring their needs, but also bring the needs that God has already met 
or if nothing else, thankfulness for who God is. So I said, okay, who's got a thankful prayer? So we started doing in our family, thankful prayers, thankful prayers, things we were thankful for. Daniel here has thankful prayers. He gives thanks before his God as he had done previously. What this means is praying for him is very normal and regular. Okay? Your car needs gas, your lungs need air, your soul needs prayer. Right? It's the fuel that God has designed your soul to run on. You need prayer, you need prayer. And this wasn't something that he was doing in the moment. This was 70 some years of consistent prayer life. And when the crisis hits, it's not like he starts his prayer life, he continues his prayer life. So prayer got him ready for this trial. Prayer's gonna get him through the trial. Prayer's gonna get him to the other side of the trial. So Daniel's an example of a man who prays, of course, the Lord Jesus is a man who prays. All the men of God in the Bible are men who pray. Now, let me ask this. How do most men, if you had to pick one word, how do most men feel about their prayer life? Most Christian men, one word to pick how they feel about their prayer life. What, what one word would you pick? Non-existent, sort of lackadaisical, intermittent, what? Pathetic, okay. Inadequate, guilty. Okay, when I say prayer, most guys feel bad. They're like, yeah, I should do that. And I should work out <laughs> and probably stop ending the diet that ends in Eidos, Cheetos, Fritos, Doritos, Taquitos, you know. I should probably eat different. I probably should exercise. I probably should pray. These are all things that would make me healthy, body, mind, and soul, and we feel guilty. My goal is not to make you feel guilty because here's what I think happens. If you're primarily motivated by guilt or fear, it's not going to last very long. Because as soon as the guilt subsides or the fear is assuaged, the motivation is gone. So there's gotta be something greater than guilt or fear. And let me just say this, um, none of us starts knowing how to pray. Okay? Some of you are brand new Christians. Some of you aren't even Christians. I asked a guy last week, I was like, are you a Christian? He's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, well, let's start there. What do you think about Jesus? He's like, I don't know. I said, okay. Great, you're here, praise God. We all start somewhere. None of us starts knowing how to pray. Just like none of us starts knowing how to drive a stick shift or hit a curveball. right? These are all things that we learn through life over time. I, how many of you grew up in a home that had no prayer? Like you, nobody ever prayed, like that, that never happened. How many of you grew up in a home that had prayer, but it was more rote, religious, traditional prayer, not from the heart? Okay, that was my family. So. I was raised Catholic, some Catholics love Jesus, I didn't, it wasn't the church's fault, it was just me. But every night for dinner, we would pray, bless us the Lord for these I gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen, we just found all the Catholic boys, okay? We would say that every week. And then sometimes for mockery, one of my brothers would say, bless the food, bless the meat, good God, let's eat. And that, that would be our backup prayer. So those are the only two prayers I really knew at mealtime. And it was more like the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, it was more like just salute God at the beginning of the meal, but it, it was not really anything from the heart. And then I went to Catholic school when I was a little boy and they gave me some memorized prayer. Prayer of St. Francis, Hail Mary, Active Contrition, Our Father, not bad. It's okay to pray other people's prayers, but I didn't know the Lord and I didn't know how to communicate with the Lord in a conversational and prayerful way. So then I go to college, I joined my first Bible study or showed up to one I think I was a new Christian at the time. And so I'm the new guy. They look at me and they say, hey, since you're new, why don't you open us in prayer? I was like, because I don't know how to. That's why I'm here. I don't, I don't know how to pray. They're like, you've never prayed? I was like, no. 
I mean, if you need somebody to cuss, I can do that, but I have never prayed, right? My dad hung drywall. We can cuss, not pray. We're good at cussing. We're not good at praying. I don't know how to pray. And I especially don't know how to pray out loud in front of a group. I don't, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to stop. I don't know what to say. So I said, could one of you guys pray? They're like, oh yeah, sorry, sorry, made you feel awkward. <laughs> you really did. I don't know how to pray. Um, and as men, how many of you don't like to do things if you feel stupid? We don't do things. That's why we don't ask for directions. Right? Right? We, like, we don't like feeling stupid. And when it comes to things like prayer, it's like, I should know how to do this, but I don't. And I feel kind of guilty and I feel kind of stupid, but as a man, I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to engage. I'll feel bad about it, but I'm not gonna make any effort to fix it. So how many of you, most men, would you agree, prayer life, not exactly what it could or should be? Yeah. So let me tell you some things about prayer from a man's perspective, from a male perspective. Uh, I'll share six things with you. And again, we're working off of Daniel's prayer life. What gets Daniel in trouble? His prayer life. What gets him through his trouble? His prayer life. Um, number one, God doesn't need prayer, you do. I didn't know this as a brand new Christian. My pastor was talking to me about prayer. Wonderful guy, I love with all my heart. And I said, why do we need to pray? God knows everything and could do whatever he wants to do. And my pastor said, well, he doesn't need prayer, you do. Oh, well that, I have, oh, that makes sense, okay? When I pray, I'm not telling God something he doesn't know, but I'm verbalizing what I'm thinking. How many of you are verbal processors? I am, obviously I do it for a living. Right? Um, instead of just vomiting and verbal processing and gossiping, you could be praying and that's the way you work out what you're thinking. So God doesn't need me to do that, but I need to do that. Sometimes I need to talk to God and think it through and work it out. God um, also is not one that when you pray, you can make him do something. This is what a lot of men don't understand. How many of you in your business, you're, you're in management or leadership, you've got subordinates, and if you give them an assignment, theoretically, they're supposed to do their job. I say theoretically, because we've all had employees. Okay, but theoretically, sometimes people think, okay, well, when I pray, I'm telling God what I need him to do. Is that the relationship we have with God? No, he's the owner. He's not the employee, he's the employer. And so we can make a request to God, but we can't make a demand of God. And when, when we pray, oftentimes God doesn't change our circumstances, but he prepares us for them. That's Daniel. They're telling Daniel, stop praying or we throw you in the lion's den. Does he go in the lion's den? Yep, they throw him in. And God spares him. But ultimately his prayer didn't change his circumstances, it changed him. Prayer sometimes doesn't change circumstances, but it changes the man, which prepares the man to go through the circumstances. And sometimes men will say, I prayed, it didn't work. What they mean is God didn't do what I told him to do. Well, that's not the point of prayer. God doesn't need prayer, you do. We all need prayer. Number two, prayer is a conversation where we speak to God. This can be in words and thoughts and listen to God. So prayer is conversational, prayer is relational. Let me tell you a little secret. Men who know how to pray have better relationships in general. Because praying is where you learn to listen and to speak, communication. 
this will build all your relationships. Like anytime I meet a guy who's pretty non-relational, let's say he's got a wife or he's got kids and they're like, I know he loves us, but we don't really know him. Don't feel very close. We don't communicate very well. Every time I've asked that guy, how's your prayer life? He tells me I don't really pray. Prayer is where God teaches a man how to have a relationship. How many of you are with a woman? Okay. True or false, they like to communicate. Have you noticed that? Is your, is your girl like mine? Right. For Valentine's Day this last uh, weekend, I was teaching a marriage conference in Dallas. I brought Grace with me and I was gonna fly in and fly out. She said, no, 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 let's go to all the sessions. Why? She said, then we can listen to all the speakers. That's a lot of listening. And she said, and then we can talk about it. And I was like, okay, I gotta prepare for this. This is like a marathon. You can't just do this. You gotta sort of work your way up to this much listening and talking. But my wife, to have a relationship with me, she needs me to listen and she needs me to talk. This is how we have relationships. Men who are non-relational are non-conversational. A conversational man becomes a relational man. Prayer is conversational with God. Prayer includes your words, because God hears your words, and it includes your thoughts, because God knows your thoughts. So if you're at work, you're like, I can't pray out loud because I'm in the middle of a meeting or I'm on a conference call, you could still pray silently in your mind, God hears and knows your thoughts. And let me just tell you this, that's a private communication line because Satan doesn't know your thoughts, only God knows your thoughts, okay? So there are a few things in my life that I'm asking God for or God's help with. And every once in a while I'll pray it silently because I just, I know God hears, but I don't want my enemy eavesdropping in. So I just talk to God silently. I know he knows my thoughts. He also knows the inclination of your heart. So it is words and thoughts and it's speaking and listening. That's prayer. Number three, prayer can occur anywhere, anytime with any posture. Daniel kneels, you can sit, you can stand. True or false, you can be driving in your car, truck or SUV and talk to God. It's all you can. This would be a good way for some of you guys to spend your commute. People will not think you're crazy. They'll just think you're on a conference call. Just drive in the car and talk to God. You can do that anywhere, anytime, and any posture. You can lay in bed and talk to God. You can go, for, one of my favorite things to do, I like to go for walks and talk to God. Because I'm not the guy that can sit there in the lotus position all day. Because number one, I'm not that flexible. And two, I get bored. I like to drive in my Jeep, top off my Jeep, go up in the mountains. I like being out in God's creation. And I'll just literally have a list of things that I wanna talk to God about and listen to God about, okay? Or I'll go for a walk and the weather this time of year is life-changing here. And uh, sometimes Grace and I'll go for a walk and hold hands. And sometimes we'll just literally be praying. Honey, is there anything I can be praying for you about? Uh, yeah, I'll be praying for, you know, recently it was her mom moving down. I love my mother-in-law. She's really pretty fantastic. And when Grace's mom was moving, I was like, yeah, let's pray for my mom to find a place and get some friends. And suddenly, okay, dear Lord, we pray for Grace's. We're holding hands, going for a walk, praying in our neighborhood. It could be very formal, it could be very informal. It could be very prepared, it could be very conversational. It all counts, it all works. And, and some of you guys, you grew up in more religious or traditional environments and you think that you need to be in a church or something to pray, you don't. Um, I talked to a guy recently and uh, he said, uh, is it okay if we sing outside of church? <laughs> I said, depends on what you're singing, you know, like. <laughs> 
if you're pulling out 80s two live crew, maybe not, you know, but if you're, um, just dated myself in a non-romantic way, but um, I said, but yeah, I said, and he said, no, I like the songs we sing at church. He's like, I kind of like those. And, you know, I'm kind of musical. And can I sing those in my house or in the car? What's the answer? Yeah, sure you can. That's a, because worship is a form of prayer. Singing is a form of prayer. Singing and praying, it's just one you're talking, the other you're talking, you know, with a little more skill. And I said, yeah, you totally can. He's like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that outside of church. Sure you can. Because God rules over everything so he can meet with you anywhere. Prayer is generally to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Jesus says, when you pray like this, our Father, and it's, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, he also says in 1 Timothy 2.15, there's one mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is fully man, fully God. Our prayers go to him and he intercedes for us and delivers our mail to the Father. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and that he is the one who compels us and teaches us to pray. So prayer is generally Trinitarian by the Holy Spirit through the Son, Jesus Christ, to God the Father. Um, it's not a sin to pray to Jesus. Let's say you're remembering that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It wouldn't make any sense to say, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins because the Son of God did that. So you could stop and say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. If you're reading the Bible, you re remember, you know, all scripture is breathed out by the Spirit of God. Stop and say, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving me the Bible. So it's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit. It's okay to pray to Jesus, the Son of God, but generally it's to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That's how we pray. Prayer includes number five, the laying on of hands. You'll see this a lot in the Bible. I have this little conversation with you men briefly. What happens when we lay hands on somebody to pray for them? Do you have to lay hands on somebody to pray for them, yes or no? You don't have to. But what happens when you do? There is a connection between you and them. It's personal. I met with a man today, a great godly man, a husband, a father here at the church. And we were just having a conversation. He was telling me a little bit about his dad. And he said some of the most memorable times in his whole life when he was a little boy is every Sunday after church, when church would end and they'd call people forward for prayer, his dad would take one of the kids forward and would lay hands and pray over them at the front of the church before they went home. And what he said was, those are some of the most sacred memories I have of my whole childhood. The thought of my dad putting his hands on me and praying over me in front of everybody. What does that say? I love this kid. And I want God to have a deep and profound relationship with this kid. So I'm here as the dad bringing my kid before our dad, okay. laying on of hands. What else happens when we lay hands? What else happens? It becomes more personal, more profound. How many of you, if somebody said, hey, I'll pray for you, versus they walked over and they were like, here, let me pray for you. That's a lot more personal and relational. Let me say this, for your wife, laying hands and praying is deeper than sex. It's more intimate. This is why men will sleep with women and not pray with them because prayer is too intimate. And sometimes a guy will be like, I wanna touch your body. Well, the first thing you need to do is touch your soul. And if you're safe and secure and godly, then she is more likely to respond 
romantically. How many of you guys have been married and having the conversation about intimacy and sex never ends where you were hoping it would? Praying together is one way to build and deepen intimacy because I believe that the deepest intimacy is not sexual, it's spiritual, it's not physical, it's at the level of the soul. Is that true? Any married guys confirm this is fact? Right? Any of you guys in your first marriage, you did not pray with that woman, it did not go well, you got remarried, you pray with that woman and it's going differently, okay? It's because then God unifies and he connects and this can be true between you and your wife. This can be true between you and your kids. This can be true, you'll see this at the end, between men. In addition, when we lay hands, sometimes there is a transfer of spiritual supernatural power. This can be healing, insight, revelation. Uh, this can be the Holy Spirit. I believe here um, some months ago, this is my interpretation of what happened. There was a guy who came, was not a Christian. The other guys laid hands and prayed over him. He allowed that, which was brave of him and God saved him. Because they all love God and they bring the Holy Spirit and as they lay hands, suddenly he's filled with the Spirit and he loves Jesus. Okay? I see it every single week. One of the most powerful things that you men do in coming here and honoring us with your presence is when we get together and pray at the end, it kind of shocks the other guys. Because how many of you have never been in a room where you're like, dudes are actually touching each other, you know, without MMA gloves and, uh, <laughs> and they're praying for each other. Because most of the time when men touch each other, it's either violence or it's the, uh, it's, it's, it's the very universal heterosexual hug. One, two, three, that's it. That's all you get. It's one, two, three. If you do four, it's weird, <laughs> right? If you hold me, I have to throw an elbow and get out of the clinch, right? It's the, how you doing, bro? One, two, three, that's it. But when you see a guy laying hands and praying, that's different. And I see it every week. So I like to hang in the back, kind of when we finish up and I watch your wives and girlfriends and daughters come in looking for you. And the gals that are new, it's pretty fascinating. They'll walk in the back and they'll just be talking and they'll be like, oh, I said, can I help you? Yeah, I'm here to see so-and-so, you know, find my husband, find my dad, find my brother, whatever. Okay, what are they doing? I said, well, they're praying. So, shh, right, they're praying. So the gals will come around the corner almost every week that we meet some woman in the back walks in, sees you men praying and starts crying every week, okay? A few weeks ago, it was one of your wives. She stopped. I said, do you want me to get him? She's like, no, 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 no. He's praying, don't stop him. Do not stop him. She's like, this is amazing. I've never seen this. He's never prayed with anyone. I said, well, then when you go home, say, I saw you. You can do this, pray for me, right? <laughs> because he, he can do this, okay? It's, it's a big deal, the laying on of hands. How, how many of you, um, your dad's hands were primarily used for violence, right? Not for blessing. Um, when I was a little boy, I remember, you know, I was about this tall, kind of hand level for a grown man as a little guy. I'll never forget, I was at somebody's house and there, I was playing with, you know, kind of kids playtime. It was summer break and there was a little girl and her dad was walking by and his hand came up. I don't know if he was, you know, grabbing something off table or what. And the little girl flinched. She recoiled. What does that tell you? This is a dangerous place. She's scared of her dad. 
And I remember as a little boy thinking, my daughter is not gonna flinch. When these hands come, they come to bless, right? They come for prayer, not for punishment. They come for life, not for death. And so I've got this little test at our house. My, uh, my youngest daughter is 16. I love her with all my heart. And I have this little, she doesn't know why I do this. So I'll probably have to tell her tonight. But she always gives me a kiss before bed. Uh, we're super close. And uh, every once in a while, if I'm in the kitchen or she's visiting with me, or if she comes home, I'll, hey, sweetheart, welcome home. And she'll come to give me a hug and I'll put my hand out. And what my daughter always does, she lays her hand, her, her head rather, in my hand. She says, I love you, daddy. Love you too, sweetie pie. And sometimes I'll just kiss her on the head and pray for her. Why? This needs to be a safe place. Okay. And it's either used for prayer or it's used for punishment. Okay. And this is where you're either going to make or break a lot of your relationships. And if you're gonna be the men of God, specifically with women and children, your wife and your kids, what we're saying is this is for prayer, not for punishment. This is the safest place, not the most dangerous place. And it should be that when your wife or your kids or other men see your hand coming or your hands coming, they think, oh, praise God, they're gonna pray for me. That their first default, their, <clears throat> their instinct, let me get some water is this is gonna be a prayer and this is gonna be a blessing. Does this make sense? Some of you guys don't know how to be the spiritual leader in your family and home and you wanna be. You don't need to memorize every verse of the Bible. You need to start by laying hands and praying and that'll get things started. That'll get things started. Lastly, number six, prayer is what naturally happens when you know God is Father. I believe that most men who struggle with prayer, they should not focus their energies on having a better prayer life. I believe that a better prayer life is the result of knowing who God the Father is. How many of you had a dad that loved you, was super helpful, safe, burden lifter, generous? Any of you have a dad like that? Did you talk to your dad? Sure. You're like, why not? I need help, I go ask dad, I need money, I ask dad. I had a good day, I tell dad, I had a bad day, I tell dad. Dad's super helpful, so I just talk to dad. How many of you had a dad was not like that? Did you talk to that dad? Nope, like, I'm not telling him what I did. He's not gonna help me, he's gonna bust me. You know, I, I, I'm not gonna tell dad what I'm struggling with. He's gonna make fun of me and make it into a joke before the whole family and I, I'm not dealing with that. Your view of God actually will determine your prayer life. Meaning if you see God as a loving, gracious, powerful, generous, safe, awesome father, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna talk to your dad. And so for most men, um, their struggle in their prayer life is really that they don't know God as father. They may know a little about the Holy Spirit. They may know a bit more about Jesus, but they don't know the Father. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So you can be saved by Jesus, but you're not healthy till you're with the Father. Jesus' goal is to forgive our sins and bring us to the Father. And the way that we get to the Father ultimately is through prayer. So they come to Jesus and they ask him, as followers do, teach us to pray. What does Jesus say? When you pray, pray like this, first two words in the English, our Father. 
Father is a word, Abba. Um, it doesn't mean daddy, but it means dad or pops. I, I call my dad pops. It is a, a word, it's a warm, affectionate, but respectful and reverent ancient word that you would call your dad, whether you were a little kid or grown. Like, I've still got a dad. I call him dad, I call him pops. <clears throat> That's my dad. It doesn't matter how old I get, I still got a dad, but he's not daddy. I'm 50, my dad is 70. If I was like, daddy, he'd be like, son, that's weird. <laughs> uh, but I can call him dad, I can call him pops, and my dad is totally fine with that. Now, what's interesting is in the Old Testament, only about 15 times is God referred to as father. It's always national, not individual. Jesus comes along, his favorite name for God is father. Over 60 times he calls God father and he is the son of God. So Jesus' relationship with God, this is what's a real gift for you as men. God is your father and you are a son of God. God is a father, Jesus is the son of God. Now we're not divine beings like Jesus, we're human beings, but we occupy that same position. And when Jesus humbled himself and became a man, he came in as a man who related to God as a father. Here's what happens. Some of you had a bad dad and you're projecting that onto God. Like, I don't talk to him or pray to him. You know, he's probably a bad dad. No, no, no. That was your earthly dad, not your heavenly dad. Some of you had no dad. You're like, I don't know how to relate to God as father. I don't know, I didn't have a dad. Well, you do have a dad now. He's a father to the fatherless. And some of you had an absent dad. He was just sort of checked out, unengaged, distant, and gone. You don't have a dad like that anymore. I'll never forget, I was tucking one of my daughters in. She was really little. And we were praying and she said, I'm so blessed. I said, why is that? She said, I have a daddy in heaven and a daddy on earth. And she said, they both love me. And I was like, Lord, help me not to screw this up. You know, cause I, I, it dawned on me in that moment, like God has shared his title with me. So if, if I'm standing here saying, this is what a dad is like, and there's another dad in heaven, if this dad is horrible, that'll be very confusing about that dad, amen? Very confusing. But if this dad, you know, by the grace of God is loving and gracious and has the father heart of God, then, then, then you've even got a more perfect heavenly father who loves you with a deeper perfection in love and joy than I do. It doesn't matter how old you get, you still need your dad. And what happens sometimes is men, we get older and we think I'm a man now, I'm on my own. No, you're not. You always need a dad. Okay. I'm 50. I still need my dad. I love my dad. I hope, trust, pray that as my kids get older, that I still can be their dad. I hope they never look at me and say, I have no need of you anymore. No, say, dad, I still need you, no matter how old they get or how old I am. No matter how old you get, you are still a son of God. You're not a child, but you're a son of God. And God isn't your daddy, but he is your dad and you always need your dad. Let me close with a few stories. I'll never forget, I was in the worst season of my life some years ago, literally the bottom fell out, it was horrible. And I was really worried and anxious, like how am I gonna provide for and lead this family, grace the kids whom I love? Like what in the heck am I gonna do? I felt a little overwhelmed and panicked, if I'm totally honest. And I remember sitting in my uh, study at home and praying, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
and literally, I felt like God spoke to me and said, just be my son. I, I remember just like, okay, God, what do you, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What's the plan? He's like, just stick close to your dad. Okay. And literally I had in my mind, it's like I had a bit of a vision where it was like a, me as a little boy and a hand, a big strong hand coming down to lead me. And this was that moment in my life where it's like, I've been a pretty independent, strong man. And now I'm not feeling so independent or strong. And when I was a little boy, my dad would grab my hand. My dad would lead me. And this was one of those seasons where I was like, I just really need dad to lead me. I'm not sure where to go or what to do, but dad knows. And I just need to stay close to dad. How do you stay close to dad? How do you take dad's hand? Prayer, literally. That's why the Bible says that God wants men to raise holy hands in prayer. You know what this is? Hey dad, your son here needs some help. Hey dad, could you lead me? Could you guide me? Could you help me? Could you protect me? Hey dad, your son's here, your boy needs help. If your little boy does that for you, what do you do for those of you that are dads? Or your daughter, what do you do? I'm in. Hey dad, you look, oh, 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 hey, you're, come on, stick with me, it's okay. I got you, I know what to do, don't freak out. I see what you don't see. I've been here before, I got this covered. You don't need to know everything, just, just stick with your dad, dad's got this. Literally from that moment, I just decided I'm just gonna pray, I'm gonna wake up every morning and I'm just gonna ask, how can I stay close to dad? And trust that dad is gonna lead me into what he has. And here we are. We're in Arizona, we're in a church plant. I mean, my kids are all serving Jesus. My wife is in the back serving Jesus. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, thanks dad, that worked. Right? I didn't know the plan, but I knew my dad and my dad had a plan and all I need to do is stay close to my dad and my dad revealed to me his plan. So what I wanna close with you is this, the best way to learn about prayer is not to look to religious people who pray, but to look to children who have a really good relationship with their dad, okay? I'll give you two uh, closing stories. I was at the airport some years ago, layover, catching a flight, and there was some religious guy, I won't tell you what religion, but I mean, he was dressed for his religion, you know, very official uniform, hat, and uh, it was his time of prayer. So he literally, in the middle of the airport, middle of everybody, he just starts, he opens his sacred book and gets out his little shawl or rug or whatever he had. And he starts praying out loud like this. And he's praying in a different language because he's, you know, he's praying according to whatever the language of his religion is, who wasn't speaking in tongues. And he's, he's doing this and he's saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And it's very loud and everybody feels very uncomfortable. And I thought, you know, Jesus said, when you pray, don't go out and pray loudly and publicly so that everybody's like, well, that's amazing. And everybody was watching him and, and you could see people were trying to figure out, is that how you should pray? And what people didn't see was on the other side of the aisle, there was a dad that had a bunch of little kids and they were walking up to him and they were asking questions. Dad, can I get some ice cream? Dad, when does our plane go? Dad, can I go potty? Asking the kid questions. And then they'd go play and then they'd come back. Uh, dad, can I borrow your phone? Hey, go back. Hey, dad, can I? They just keep going to their dad to talk to him, check in, sit on his lap, 
hang out, ask a question. Here are two examples in the airport on different sides of the aisle. This guy thinks he's praying, he's not. If you watch this guy, you're not gonna learn how to pray. If you watch this dad with his kids, guess what? You're gonna learn how to pray. You watch kids who have a good dad that they feel safe with and have fun with, and he's generous and he's kind and he's present and he's affectionate and he's safe. You watch kids engage with, ask questions of, do life with, make memories with their dad. That's a better example of prayer. Our father, it's relationship with dad. So let me just close with this. Your view of God will change your life of prayer. If you know God is your dad, you're gonna to talk to him. If you don't know he's your dad, no matter how much you guilt yourself, you're not gonna to talk to him, amen? Let me close with a few uh, things for around the table. Whose prayer for you has made a big impact on you? Was it a coach? Was it a pastor? Was it your wife, your dad? Who's prayed for you that that was a big day for you? That was a big deal for you? How can we pray with you or for you today? And if you wanna pray, we'd love to have you pray. For some of you guys, this will be the first time you've ever prayed in a group, you've ever prayed out loud. Last week, I know we had at least one man here, first time he's ever prayed out loud in his whole life. Big day for him. How can we pray for you? How can we pray with you? Who do you need to pray for or with this week? Who do, who do you think, you know what? I should go put a hand on them and pray for them. Is it your wife, your kid, coworker, family, friend? Maybe it's somebody sick in the hospital, needs a visit from you. Who do you need to go lay a hand on and pray for? And let me say, if you're married or you got kids, you've never done this, start immediately. And I'm telling you, something supernatural will break. Number four, which guys do we need to pray except your invitation to join us? So we all know guys that need to learn about Jesus and get their life together and meet some other good guys for the journey like Daniel did. Who are those guys so we can be praying for them to join us? And if you're a visitor and your buddy brought you, now you know how you got here, we prayed for you. So prayer got answered, thanks for being here. Last one, do you need a Bible? If you don't have a good Bible, we'd love to give you a good Bible. This is the English Standard Version translation that I teach out of. There are many good ones, this is a good one. It's the study Bible has a lot of notes to help you kind of learn it if you're new to the Bible. And uh, if you've never had a good Bible, we would like to give you a Bible. The good news is we have guys here that we gave Bibles to. They've paid it forward. They bought more Bibles. So thank you men for being generous. And it's pretty cool because every week here at Real Men, there's a, a, a small parade of guys who get their very first Bible. I think last week it might've been 10 men got their very first Bible, which is awesome, amen? Any of you guys that are Bible guys, you know that's a great gift. I'm gonna pray and give you time around tables. Father, thank you for an opportunity to teach. It's an honor in a room with such great men to have an opportunity to be the one who opens the word of God. I thank you for the table leaders, good men who have been praying for the men around their table all week and wanna love, encourage, and bless them tonight. God, help us to learn how to pray, how to listen and how to speak uh, to you, Father so that we can build our relationship with you and we can learn how to build healthy relationships with others, starting with the people nearest and dearest to us that we love the most. And God, uh, thank you that supernatural things happen when we pray. And thank you, God, that we even see the example in the story of Daniel. He prays, so they throw him in a pit and God answers his prayer and spares him from the lion's den. And so God, supernatural things that we don't fully understand or comprehend get unleashed in prayer. Uh, but we thank you for it. 
And we look forward to seeing you show up in supernatural ways that prove your power. God, pray for the men as they have a discussion and a time of prayer. And uh, God, pray for the guys that have never prayed that they would demonstrate some, some new habits. Uh, for the guys who haven't prayed in a long time, uh, would you welcome them back to the family? And Lord, just thank you that as men, we get to call you Father. That's amazing, Lord. You're our dad. You love us. You protect us. You provide for us. You care for us. You instruct us. You correct us. That our God is not just an impersonal force, but he's a personal father. And so Jesus, thank you for connecting us to dad. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.